Good morning, family. I think there's a real sense today as we are here and through our time of worship, there was a real sense of, of a moment that we've arrived at. And I think it is, it's a part of it is a result of, of lots of things that the Lord has been doing among us and His busyness with us. But I, I, mean, I remember when I felt the Lord really stir us around Romans 12, that there was something the Lord said that He needed to do and for us to consider and think through around Romans 12 that has to do with the kingdom and, and lifting our eyes in a sense of into that perspective of the kingdom perspective. So I, I think it's been part of that and it's from that place where you know, it would have been quite easy this morning not to preach a word but to almost just say let's just, but I, I really feel the Lord saying this is part of where we are today. And uh, the part of Romans that we're going to consider today, Romans 12, is the last part of, of uh, chapter 12, uh, and it's, it's from verse 14 to 21. And the title of today is The P Perfect Pattern of Overcoming Evil, for Overcoming Evil. And I just sense the Lord wants to just almost like put a last thing in place for us today and to seal something off in terms of this that we've been busy with. And if you've been with us in this time, it's been about journeying with the Lord in terms of being transformed not fitting in with the pattern of this world, but being transformed into the pattern of the kingdom. And as Paul writes Romans 12, there's such great pieces in it, but the last couple of verses, it's like he really the rubber eats the road. You know, it's like it now really comes to the crunch of it. It's, it's if, if the kingdom is in your life and if you're being transformed into the kingdom, this is one of the key places where you will see the kingdom, its reality in your life. It's, it's almost like, you know, when you go to the doctor and uh, you're just having your checkup, there's a couple of vital signs they test. And uh, these are certain things that they check up on. And if these things are good, they generally feel, okay, you're in a good state of health. Things like your, your pulse, your blood pressure, they, they, you know, they'll test your sugar levels, they'll test your cholesterol. There's certain basic things that they check. And it's almost like when Paul writes this and he talks about all this transformation and wonderful things that happens in our lives as believers, he says, if this is all going on in your life, then this is one of the main ways you'll see it come to fruition and the fruit that you'll see in your life. And it's your ability to deal with evil, your ability to deal with those that come against you. And every now and then, it's almost like in our lives where the Lord tests this as a vital sign. He, he'll provide you with some opportunities where people will come against you and people will, will put pressure on you or, you know, in, in some way you'll feel life is just not for you, it's against you. And it's how you respond in those times that gives you a really great indicator of your spiritual health and wellness. So that if there's inappropriate response, you can go back and say, Lord, now you still need to do some more of the work of the kingdom in my life. And, and that's why I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this idea of what do we do with the haters, to use modern language. There's this thing nowadays of hate the haters, you know, when, whenever people go against us and whatever, we talk about the haters. But in the scripture, the Lord Jesus tells us we've got to love the haters. We cannot be like the world. One of the major patterns where we are different than the world is we love the haters. The Bible uses the word persecutors, those that stand against you. So let's read quickly in verse 14 of Romans 12. It says the following. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Wow, what a challenging thought. How other, how different 
to the normal reaction of this world. You know, the, the normal reaction, the pattern of this world is if somebody brings a knife to a gunfight, you bring a gun. You always take it a little bit further. You overpower. You, you stronger. You, you, you know, when somebody curses you, you give it good to them. I mean, we live in the day of social media where people, you know, have become really skilled at how to promote hate. Recent studies as early as this year have shown that hate on social media is three times more than what it used to be. Hate sites are on the growing. There's just a lot of hatred in the world around us that we see through social media. Because what happens is you, you can be targeted by somebody that can completely spread lies and falseness about you and put it out there, you know, fake news or whatever, and put it out there and just insult you, demean you, break you down, and how do you deal with that? What do you do with that? Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. How is this possible for us that we can actually do this? Not, yes, yeah, sitting in church this morning, all nice, all neat in rows, all looking very civilized and very Christian. But tomorrow, when you're driving and some person cuts you off, Lord, bless them with a, with a mind, with a, you know, I always said verstand. That's what I would have said. Lord, bless them with just good thinking. No. When, when life throws all of its reality at you, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. John Piper writes the following. He says, virtually all the commands in verse 14 to 21 assume that something deeper has happened in the life of a Christian. All these commands are rooted in freedom from self-preoccupation, self-infatuation, and self-exaltation. And much more than that, though, that is crucial, they are rooted in Christ's preoccupation, Christ's infatuation, and Christ's exaltation. You see, when we live the lives of being conformed, then it's about me. When I live the life of transformation, it's not about me any longer, it's about Christ. So when things come against me, my reaction is not to take care of myself, my reaction is to take care of the kingdom business. So it changes fundamentally how I operate and how I do things, particularly when people come against me. I find it very interesting that Paul puts a very positive action on this. He says, bless those who curse you. Now, I don't know about you, but my parents taught me, if you can't say something good about somebody, say nothing. If somebody says something bad against you, you just keep quiet. That's good advice, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says, don't just keep quiet when somebody comes against you. Go the opposite and bless them. Don't just absorb people's anger. Don't just, you know, not be pushed around by people, but actually step forward and do the opposite thing. If somebody curses you, then your job is to go and bless them, not just to, you know, be, do nothing. That's quite challenging. When people really come against you, can you bless them? And it's so important that we're able to do that because it's in that that the power of real change lies. Now, I, I just want to remind you that Paul writing these words, he's writing it in the context of where the Roman government was starting to up 
its persecution of the church. And the church was more and more becoming exposed to the tensions of the time. And he was almost prophetically speaking to the Christians, saying to them, things are going to get worse. Because by AD 64, you know, Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome, and they started putting the Christians to death in the circus. They would feed them to wild animals. They would burn them alive, feather and tar them. They would do all these terrible things to the Christians and persecute and take their properties. So he's saying to, in, the, in that, in the back of his mind, bless those who persecute you. I mean, we live in times where Christianity is feeling the pressure. Right now, in this past week, in our own country, this, this uh, judgment was passed that in our public schools, you're not allowed to promote Christianity or any religion above any other. Now, I don't think that's particularly people trying to persecute us in that sense. But it does speak of the times and the environment we live in. That there's the, the pressure that we feel of not completely going with this world and being transformed as opposed to conforming. How do we deal with these things? These were important matters, not only in Paul's writing, but in Jesus himself. He said the following in Matthew 5, verse 10 to 16. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Jesus literally says, blessed are you when you are being persecuted. Now, it's interesting that in the original language, the word persecute, it, 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 it keeps the word stress is almost part of it. It's not only persecution, it's not only something we experience because people come against us openly for our faith. It's be, part of it is because we live in a world that's not our home, and we're not quite at home yet, and we, we're constantly under a stress of a world that is not the way the kingdom of God should be. And we feel it. It includes that element. So for us as believers, we will always have a sense of discomfort at least. But it also manifests in different ways. Sometimes people are just unkind because this is a fallen world. Sometimes people are just harsh because this is a fallen world. And how do we deal with it? What do we do? Now, Natasha uses an illustration that I want to steal from her today, and often when she talks about this, about how we, how we deal with this, and what are some of the dynamics that is important for us to understand as kingdom agents in this world. So I'm going to ask Pastor William, will you come and join me on stage, please? You should know by now, you shouldn't sit in the front row, then you're going to be called on for some illustration. And again today, William is an evil person, so, <laughs> in my life, okay? So... Let's say, like many of us, we have some challenging relationships. How many of you would have somebody in your life right now, whether it's at work or in your family or just somebody that you know that they just don't give you the warm and fuzzies when you think about them? They're just a difficult person. Anybody raise your hand? Wow, so many of you. But you look such nice. You look like you're such nice and kind people. Who can have problems with you? How can it be that you could have people that you have a bit of friction with? Now, let's say, think of your person and then project them onto William. So we pray for grace for him. So, so William represents a person in my life that, you know, things, there's a bit of stress here. There's persecution going on here. There's, he, he doesn't like me and he openly shows it. He's like unkind, 
He steals my commission at work or, you know, he's just, yeah, he doesn't want anything to do with me. Now, I'm a Christian. And as it will happen if I'm a Christian and the Spirit of God lives within me, the Spirit of God doesn't just view this that's going on here as some reality of life and says, man, just get over it and carry on with life. No. When there's something like this, the Holy Spirit sees a great opportunity for the kingdom to come. Because the Holy Spirit loves him, the Holy Spirit loves me, but the Holy Spirit knows the space where the kingdom happens and becomes visible is here between the two of us. So now he's carrying on with his life. He doesn't like me. In my normal day, you know, as I spend time with the Lord, perhaps sometimes I'm praying. As I'm just busy, the Lord says, William. And I go, yes, yeah, you're right, Lord. He needs help. He needs to change that guy. You know, he, he's such a bad person. Lord, I pray for him that you will work in his life. And if you can't work in his life, can you please have him, you know, put in another department or send him away that I don't have to deal with him? Any of you ever prayed prayers? <laughs> How many of you that prayed that prayer and the Lord actually answered that prayer? I'm sure there's one or two. Wow, praise God. So notice those people, don't get unkind with them because you're going to be moved. But I, I pray and I say, Lord, I don't want to deal with him. And, you know, we, life carries on and he's nasty to me and this relationship's not working. Someday the Lord may say again, William. And I go, Lord, what? I've prayed that you must move in them. You're not doing it, Lord. I don't know what to do anymore. Now, if I'm a Christian that wants to live the transformed life, I've got to recognize this opportunity and say, Lord, perhaps there's something that can happen here that I can be an agent of the kingdom. Because this is not just about me and him. There's a third party involved in this relationship, and that's God. So if you had to imagine a triangle, let's say God's up here, and there's him and there's me. Now God wants to work in my life to change me to become more of the kingdom. And he also wants to work in his life so that he would experience more of the kingdom. So it may be that God speaks to me and says to me, I want you to bless William. Or it can even be that even if I'm not 100% sure, is God what God, but I take the positive step as Paul says, bless those who persecute you. And I decide, Lord, I think I should do something for William to bless him. Will you help me? Just give me some, you know, understand. Help me, Lord. And I'm going to take a step out and I'm going to bless him. So it may be that the Lord says to me, you know, when you're at work tomorrow, just pay attention to what is his favorite drink at work. And then I notice he likes coffee. Who? Who doesn't get your coffee? Swart. Swart. Okay. Black coffee. Shaker? Two sugars. Two sugars. Okay. Black coffee, two sugars. So I notice at work this is what he does. So tomorrow I go and I, I make time before break time. I go make him a cup of coffee and I, perhaps I go put it on his desk and I just say, man, I just want to give you, bless you with a cup of coffee. I may not use the word bless because whatever, but here's a cup of coffee for you. Now, he really doesn't like me. He wants nothing to do with me. So he takes the coffee and he throws it in the pot plant. And he, while he's looking at me, smiling at me, throws the coffee in the pot plant. He's a horrible man. So. Yes, he's a really terrible guy. Now I storm off and I go, see, Lord, I told you he's a terrible person. You've got to deal with him. It didn't work. Now what's God doing? God wants to plant the seed of the kingdom in his life. 
My responsibility, I can't change him. And it's not my responsibility to try and change him. But I can be God's vehicle to plant the seed of the kingdom. First of all, I must have the kingdom. I must have the heart for him that says, I want to bless you even though you're not blessing me. So in my life, first the work happens. I take that work and I give it. I bless it. Now once I've blessed him, I step away. What he does is his business. But the truth is this. Once the seed is planted, the Lord says, my, and often the seed is the word. That's why I like the fact that he says, bless him. Bless him. Now, blessing can be an action or words that I speak over him. But when I do that, the kingdom seed is being planted. And the word says the seed will not return to the Lord empty, but it will accomplish that for which it was sent. So he can react. He wants to reject the seed, but the seed has been planted. Now, it may be that over his life, many people are sent by God to just plant the seeds. But what happens in that moment is when I've planted the seed, the seed is no longer with me. The seed is there. And when the seed is there, that's God's seed. I don't have to work with that seed. God now has direct access to him to work with the seed in his life. Remember, when God wanted to create the world, he spoke the word. Now, the word, I bless him, is placed in his life. Now, God can use that word and start creating something new in his life. And that seed will lie there. And that seed will work. And it may be that God continues to journey with me and to say, pray for him, bless him, continue on. Or it may be that that's the only thing I do. But the thing is, God is working. God is working. God's kingdom will continue to work in my life. God will show me how to deal with the rejection I experienced from him and the toughness of it. But now God will work in his life. Thank you, William. You can have a seat. Thank you, William. And that's what God does in our lives. When he works and transforms us through us, he starts putting things in place in other people's lives. And I think it's for that reason that Jesus says this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. I mean, that's a different way of thinking about it. Don't just endure. See the blessing in the trouble. Why? Because when you go through a time like that, where there's evil that comes against you, and when, when people are trying to you know, be difficult with you, and when you're in that moment and your, your heart wants to go, oh, no, Lord, I really can't deal with this. I just, you know, just get me out of here. Just you know, deal with the person. That's actually the moment where you should go, thank you, Jesus. I have a kingdom opportunity. You have blessed me with an opportunity. Can you do that? Come on. Can you do that? Can you have that attitude that Jesus says, count it a blessing? When people, it says here, I mean, for, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like Jesus said, I've given you an opportunity to lay hold of the kingdom. For that to which you believe to become practically lived through your life. He says, blessed are you when people insult you. When last have you seen on Facebook somebody, you write something about you and, and then you go, thanks, yes, I'm blessed. Wow. Or when some, you hear somebody said something terrible about you through, by somebody else and you go, wow, amen, I'm so blessed. 
That's what Jesus says. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you are persecuted and falsely they say all kinds of things against you. You see, we want to defend ourselves. But it's not about me anymore. It's about the kingdom. How can I use that opportunity, not for me to look better, but for the kingdom to be established? Now, within that, God will take care of me also. We're not, we don't just let people say evil things about us, and we don't have to say anything about it. It's just when we deal with it, we deal with it, not because of us, but because of the righteousness of the kingdom. And we want to see the kingdom come to pass. Therefore, Paul carries on, and he writes things like, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. What an amazing idea. That for us in the kingdom of God that are being transformed, we can have compassion with people, even those who are against us. Even those that persecute us, we can weep with them when they weep. And we can laugh with them when they laugh. We can have compassion for them. And I think this is a unique thing that the Bible allows us to do. You see, the world struggles when people do bad things. Normally, there's one or two ways the world deal with people when they do really dumb and bad things. Either it, they take, make that person like he's completely evil. There's no good in him. You, we've all seen it, what happens. Some person may have lived their lives and really tried to do good for their whole lives and have tried to really be a positive contribution to society, and then they do or say something really bad. And from that moment on, they treat it like everything about them is bad. Their contributions are forgotten. They, they moved from they used to be good, now they're bad. And that's sometimes what the world does. Or the world does the other thing where it goes and it says, well, who are we to judge? You know, that person just, you know, we really shouldn't hold them accountable for it. We, everybody has a bad day. And, uh, and let's, just, let's just, you know, get past it. That's the two ways the world deals with it. Now, how do we deal with evil and, and bad and when people do bad things. You see, because we believe in free will, it gives us as Christians this unique approach that I can look at a person and see them made by God, loved by God. God has a plan for their life. I can see the potential for good in them. I can see the good in them and I can value and appreciate them and at the same time see the, the bad, the evil, the sin that they do and hate that sin, and reject that sin. We don't have to reject the person completely as evil, or minimize the evil so that we can just be kind. We can actually hold those two things together because of our worldview. So when, when somebody does some really evil thing, sinful thing, not, I'm talking not just because society thinks it's bad, but we believe it's really the wrong thing. I can come to that person and show them kindness and love and compassion and say to them, you are worth something. You, are, you have been made in the image of God. You are a wonderful, beautiful person. But that which you've done is terrible. It, you cannot do that. That is wrong. And repent from it. Stop it. But hold out my hand at the same time to that person. Put my arm around them and say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to stand with you. But you need to deal with this. The world either rejects or it has some appearance of acceptance, but it's not real. We can do it differently. 
So when somebody does some evil against me and some sin, I recognize, first of all, my own life, that I have the potential to do that same bad thing. I'm not above it. So therefore, I don't think I'm better than anybody else and look down upon anybody else and from that place judge them. I look at a person that does a terrible thing like that, even when they do it to me, and I first of all recognize, yeah, I have the potential to could have done that same thing. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And because of your grace in my life, you have kept me from doing that to somebody else. Can I extend grace to a person and call them to a higher place to the way that I treat this situation. And then understand that the word says, speak the truth in love. With a love heart, I can go to a person when it's appropriate. It's not always possible, but when it's appropriate to say to a person, that which you did was really harmful. But it's not about me. And that's where it gets a bit different with us. That's our foundation that is different. Therefore, Paul can say, be of the same mind toward one another. Be people that seek harmony and peace. Don't be people that want to upset everybody. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. You know, Jesus didn't think anybody was less than him. He was able to associate with people because he had that view of people. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Then he carries on in verse 17. No, never pay back evil to evil for anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's so much there, and I don't have time to, to unpack it this morning, but please go and just meditate on those verses. I want to read you a story, and then I'm finished. That illustrates, I think, the heart of this that happened. This is maybe, maybe you know this story. This has been a story that's been on the media over a number of years, although it took back a long time ago. It was on Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, this story featured. So let me just read you the story. Johnny Lee Clary thought that racism and bigotry were to be worn as a badge of honor. His dad committed suicide, his mother abandoned him, and he felt all alone in the world until he found a place to belong. The problem was that that group that opened their arms to the alienated 14-year-old was the Ku Klux Klan. He soaked up the teachings of David Duke and participated in KKK events. His passion caused him to rise through the ranks of the clan and eventually become the imperial wizard of the white knights of the Ku Klux Klan, the most feared element of the clan in history. Johnny appeared on television talk shows along with Tom Metzger, the founder of the white Aryan resistance, spewing his hatred towards other races. Wade Watts was born September 23, 1919 in Oklahoma. His family moved to Canada for a short time before they moved back to Oklahoma. During Wade's younger years, he witnessed racism firsthand, and it shaped who he would become as a man. Wade became a close friend of the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr. He joined the NAACP when he was 17 years old and also became a pastor in his early 30s and marched with Dr. King in Selma, Alabama in 1965. Wade and his wife, Betty Jean, lost their firstborn in hospital in Ada, Oklahoma. It was the dead of winter, and the nursery in the hospital was segregated. 
The heat was piped into the white nursery. Wade and Betty Jean's baby was in the black nursery. As a result, the baby froze to death. Wade Watts and Johnny Lee Clary's paths would intersect in 1979. Wade was the leader of the Oklahoma chapter of the NAACP. Johnny Lee Clary was the grand dragon of the Oklahoma KKK. The two met in a debate that was broadcast across the country through an Oklahoma City radio station. When the two men came out to debate, Wade reached out his hand to shake Johnny's, but Johnny knew that according to the Klan rulebook, to touch a non-white person was to pollute oneself. Wade shook his hand anyway and said, Hi, Johnny, Jesus loves you and I love you. Johnny Lee Clary called Wade every name in the book, but Wade said, Johnny, there's nothing that you can do to stop me from loving you. After the debate, Johnny decided to do everything in his power to get Wade. He could, would call him in the, on the phone and threaten him. He and other clansmen showed up at Wade's house in the, in the hoods with their hoods and robes. They burned a cross in his yard and even burned the church that Wade pastored. Each time Johnny attempted to get at Wade, he got the same response. Wade would remind Johnny that Jesus loved him, and he did as well. Johnny called Wade after he, had, he and his buddies burned Wade's church. Johnny sought to disguise his voice and said, Hey boy, you don't know me, but we know you and we're coming for you. Wade said, Hi Johnny, I'm going to pray for you. And then he prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive Johnny for being so stupid. <laughs> One time Johnny and about 30 of his buddies surrounded Wade at a restaurant in McAllister. Wade was getting ready to eat some chicken when Johnny said, You better think about what you're doing, boy, because whatever you do next to that chicken, we are going to do to you. Wade picked up the chicken and kissed it. Everyone in the restaurant broke out in laughter except for Johnny. Johnny's life began to spin out of control. There was infighting in the clan, and he had suffered from two divorces, found out his girlfriend was an informant for the FBI, and, and eventually left the clan. Johnny began to experience extreme guilt over the violence and hatred that he had lived for so long. He was on the verge of taking his own life one night when he cried out to God. God heard his cry. Over the next few years, Johnny contacted Wade, and the two of them became friends. Johnny became a minister, and he and Wade preached together in Tulsa at ORU's center. They appeared together on the Phil Donahue show and the Geraldo Rivera show. Wade was interviewed on television one time, and he said, I always wanted to leave this old world, knowing that I left it a better place than I found it. But to have been a help in converting Johnny Lee Clary over to Christianity, the right kind of Christianity, not the KKK type, but the right kind of Christianity, well, that's one of the best jobs I've ever done in my life. Wade went to home to be with the Lord in December 1998. At his passing, Johnny Lee Clary said, Reverend Watts was like a father to me. I am grateful for all the years I had with him and for all the wisdom and knowledge he passed on to me. He told me what, that he was passing me his mantle. I do not feel worthy to take it up. However, if he thought that much of me to invest all those years of time and wisdom into me, then I owe it to the memory of him to fight racism and continue his works. Wade and I always called one another old partner. I will miss him for the rest of my life and will never forget him because I serve Jesus as my Lord and Master. I will see Wade again. So it's not goodbye, but it's just so long for now, old partner. You see, when God's kingdom is real in our lives, and when that kingdom spills over into the most difficult places where we're confronted with the unkindness and injustice of this world, not only does that kingdom protect us 
but it starts creating a space that allows God to come in and move to change injustice on a bigger picture. But it always begins with us, each of us, every day. You have a pattern in your life, a pattern that is busy transforming you, changing you to a higher life, to a place where through you, God's kingdom will become more and more visible in this world. We are privileged. We are so privileged to be the children of God, first of all, to know that Jesus loves us, to have some understanding of what that means. We are so privileged to be part of a community of people that we endeavor to share that with one another, to grow in that together, to see that become more and more prevalent among us. And we are very privileged to live in a world that needs what we've got. And every day we are out there, every day we are out there and the kingdom can come. Blessed are you, blessed are you for the opportunities you get when the world rises up where you can say, there's a different spirit that lives in me. There's a difference in me. I'm not just going to act for my sake. I'm going to use every opportunity for his sake. I wonder if we can stand this morning. Thank you, guys. I want to end off this, couple, this last while that we had in Romans 12. And Natasha and I, we're going to be taking a break next week. You're going to be privileged to have Dr. Daryl Bock come and minister here. And um, we're going to be just taking a bit of a break. But I, I just feel I want to seal off today. And just be in a place that continues on in the spirit of what I felt God was doing in us when we were worshiping earlier. And God is saying He's moving things. But we're, in, we're part of that movement. That's not just God doing something in the heavenlies. That's God doing something in the heavenlies that changes us. And through us, some of that happens in the world also. And we just want to be people that says, Lord, I'm not going to be conformed to this world, but transformed so that I can be a living sacrifice that worships you in my worship station every day. So let's just calm our hearts for a moment. Can I ask you just, just open your heart to the Lord right now. Just be just wide open. Lord, you know each of us. You know our struggles, our pains, the challenges we face. You know the things that get us excited. You know everything about us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. That we have Jesus. We've received forgiveness. That once we were your enemies, but you showed us grace. You gave us what we didn't deserve. Help us, Lord, to tell and show the world that Jesus still is giving people what they don't deserve. His love, His family, a place to belong. Recreating us that same spirit, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.
Perhaps right now you can think of a relationship that where you raised your hand earlier and you're saying, this is difficult. Can I ask you right now to say, Lord, I commit this relationship to you. I thank you for this relationship. I see this relationship as a blessing. And I pray that you would help me to do the kingdom thing in this relationship. To be led by you, not by myself. To know that I'm not responsible for that person. And perhaps sometimes I need to withdraw from them because that's the kingdom thing to do. And I'm not responsible for that person. But that I can do what you have called me to do, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your kingdom come. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for every person here today, every person whose heart is set on you. Continue to transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. I want to invite you, if you need just a bit of prayer this morning, Perhaps there's something particularly that you need to trust God for, a breakthrough in your life, a particular relationship. We want to pray with you. Our elders and pastors will be in the front, and we want to pray with you. It may be that you've never met Jesus. You don't know what this thing is to be a Christian. Come, and we'll pray with you, and we want to help you in that. May the Lord bless you. May you have a tremendous week until we see you again. We love you, and that's never going to change. Have a great day. Amen.